0: Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Tabletop Battlefield Live. I'm Jason, the creator of the Tabletop Battlefield, and tonight we're moving on to the third episode here of Painting Up Cypher, Lord of the Fallen. This is the game's workshop miniature that was released about six months ago, along with the triumphant of the Primarch, alongside Reboot Gulliman and that librarian from the Grey Knights whose name I have no freaking clue what it is, because I bought the box set just for Cypher here. (laughs) I'm not sure how many episodes this series is going to go on for. Painting Kairos' Fate Weaver went on for about 14 episodes. And I did a lot of... Though, with that guy, I did a lot of work off-camera. Whereas I have not done anything off-camera yet with Cypher. I've just been painting him only live on this show. Because he's obviously a much smaller miniature, a lot less to paint. I don't need to quite do as much work off-camera. So we're going to continue tonight with the cape and probably really only get through painting the cape tonight. I'll see. We might move on maybe some of the guns, something like that, but mainly tonight I'm working on getting the cape done. So you got the, the proper colors and all that kind of stuff. And I did have to buy a new artificial layer extra small brush. My other one, the bristles all finally fell out. Fantastic brush and I highly recommend it. So that's why I bought another one. They're really expensive, but they're amazing brushes. And go along with Painting for Night, I want to talk about a topic that I've been getting a lot into recently, and that's 3D printing. So I want to do my state of 3D printing for tabletop gaming for 2017. I gave a presentation on 3D printing related to tabletop gaming several years ago at a local technology conference. And I wanted to kind of update what has happened since then and how things are changing and if tabletop gaming is really threatened or altered in any way by 3D printing yet. Um, short answer, not exactly yet. But, you know, that's the way it's been for the past five, ten years now. So, we'll see what happens. But let's go ahead and dive in here to painting Kairos Fate, not Kairos Fate Weaver, that was the old series, painting Cypher. Alright, so last time I started applying some white paint and a couple thin layers to his cloak. I'm going to finish that up right now, tonight. This time, though, I'm going to try to remember to actually let the layers dry in between. <laughs> Painting layers last time I was talking so much about Rune Wars versus Warhammer Fantasy. I kinda was just pushing paint around by the end of the show. So let's not do that this time and actually apply amount of paint. So what palette's coming out here? I'm gonna use my larger Windsor Newton Series 7 brush to get the basic colors down. The artificial layer brush. That's gonna use it more for detail later on. This is a very large scale. Of course, the large scale being relative, being a miniature application of color. So that's why I'm only gonna work with my Winsor Newton Series 7 brush, which is a lot larger. Once again, very relative terminology, <laughs> because it's a tabletop gaming miniatures, but a lot larger compared to the artificial layer extra small brush. But they're essentially the same, very similar types of brushes. The Winsor Newton Series Winsor Newton Series 7 brushes are. Incredible. Incredibly, incredibly high-quality brushes. All right, so let's dive into talking about uh, the 3D printing update for 2017 and how 3D printing relates to tabletop gaming at this point in its lifespan. So, of course, there's a very general rule, 3D printing is the process of taking a computer model, a computer-generated model, and turning it into a real physical object through some process, some additive process, what that means is you're not like taking a block of material and cutting something out. You're just taking raw material and gluing it, essentially gluing it together such that it forms a solid object. So that's different than say like a CNC mill machine which would take a block of aluminum or a block of steel and kind of grind it down to the shape of something else. So 3D printing is basically the opposite of that. Now, in regards to 3D printing as it stands now, You've got the two existing technologies that have been in the home for a while now. You have FDM, that is fused deposition modeling. When you think of 3D printers, you're probably thinking of one of these types of printers. The vast majority of printers out there, in fact, I think all but like one at the moment, is this type of technology. A Fused deposition modeling is where you have a nozzle that's ejecting superheated plastic out one very tiny layer at a time, and it's essentially building up the miniature from the ground up, like really, really tiny layers. So, and it just adds, you know, it basically takes a three D model, breaks it down into tiny little layers, and adds them one at a time, building it from the ground up. I think I said that about three times right there, saying the exact same phrasing. But you know what I'm talking about. Uh, this is this is the kind of printer I have. I recently purchased an Ultimaker printer. That's one of the more, I guess, it's called boutique higher higher, uh, more expensive. <laughs> Let's say more expensive brands. <laughs> That's the more appropriate terminology of 3D printing technology. But all in all, these printers are getting a lot better and they're getting cheaper. There are some FDM printers that are under $300. You know, I don't know how good said cheap printers are. Good's a very relative terminology when it comes to 3D printing, I find out. My idea of good is a a lot higher standard than your typical hobbyist, mainly because, you know, I'm coming from a tabletop game background. In particular, you know, I I have my Kaladagia line of miniatures, and those greens for the Kaladagia miniatures are all manufactured using a 3D printing process. So naturally, I have a much higher standard for what I consider good than probably what a lot of people do. A lot of people have, like, this Yoda bust, you know the character from Star Wars. It's like kind of goofy looking. Granted, it's kind of a goofy looking character, but you know, it's a little bit, little bit not great detail. You see lots of nice, well defined layer lines, and they're like, "This is amazing!" And I'm like, "No, it's not. That's garbage." But <laughs> once again, that's just a different perspective. But so, the biggest problem I've had with FDM printers, and why I actually finally bought one, <laughs> why, I, why I changed my mind is they used to have very visible layer lines. You know, as I mentioned just a minute ago, the material is laid down one layer at a time, and they were kind of big layers. You know, you think of a layer as 0.4 millimeters thick. That's obviously very tiny for you to look at a ruler, but it's big enough to where you notice it when you're looking at the miniature. And oftentimes, there would be a little bit of inaccuracy, with each layer, and I'm talking very, very tiny amounts of inaccuracy, but you can see them in the final miniature. Oh, by the way, I'm using linen white on the outside of his cape. This is a Reaper paint, and it's a slightly off color white. So I'm just applying multiple thin layers of that. I just realized I didn't mention what color of material or white I was using on the um, on his cape here. I just started blabbering about, oh, crap. One moment, I just got paint off his arm. <laughs> Brush fail. I, I kind of was just brushing a little too overzealous, and I got a little bit of paint on his uh, armor that I had finished painting earlier. But that's all right. I just cleaned it up. It's, we're good to go. I never painted that piece, did I? He's got a little shoulder pauldron, I, I didn't paint the armor color. So I'll have to go back and do that later. Now I lost a train of thought. Okay, so yeah, the FDM printers used to have really huge, very noticeable layer lines. And it just didn't look very good. But they're getting a lot better. So the Ultimaker 2 Go is the one that I purchased. It's the cheapest of the Ultimaker 2 line. I think it's the cheapest of all the Ultimakers. Uh, I think they might still sell the original Ultimaker. So it's the cheapest of the original of the Ultimaker 2 line. It's the smallest one. It's only got about a 4 inch by 4 inch by 4 inch build area. But I purchased it, one, because it's small... It's physically maybe a little bit more than a cubic foot in size, and I live in an apartment, so small size stuff is good like that. Plus, it's very very quiet. It's approximately fifty decibels when in operation, which you know, comparison wise, a old crummy dishwasher, what I like, what I have here in the apartment, is about eighty decibels, which is quite a bit louder. It's not like the decibel scale is like logarithmic, so I think that might be like 100 times louder, something like that. I forgot the math in my head. But the point is, it's it's very, very quiet. Not all 3D printers are that quiet. Some can be very, very loud. So that's why one thing you have to look into if you're looking at choosing an FDM printer is get an idea of just how loud they're going to be if that matters to you. I mean, I've heard people complain about they can hear them violently shaking from all the way in the basement. Most of the more expensive ones are going to be fairly quiet. I've seen some videos of the Lulzbot. Yeah, the Lulzbot Taz, which is a really expensive one. And there was two people talking in front of that thing, recording a video while it was going, and you could barely hear it in the background. So, just be advised, that's one of the features you tend to get on some of the more expensive printers, is they're a lot quieter. The other reason why I went with the more expensive printer, I haven't tried. Now it's very important to note I haven't tried any of the really cheap ones, the sub $500 ones. I've seen them. Micro Center, which is a computer store, does sell cheap 3D printers. Um, but you, from what I was told and what I've seen so far with my observations of using the Ultimaker, which by the way, this guy I was showing earlier here, this spire was made with the Ultimaker. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute they have a much higher mechanical tolerance. So they shake less, and they're, they have a significantly more accurate positioning of the nozzles. I mean, you're, when i it's funny when you think about shake less. The things all in general barely shake at all. But when you're dealing with resolutions that are sub-millimeter, a little bit of vibration can really affect model quality. The Ultimaker 2 Go doesn't vibrate at all. It's completely unnoticeable. It gets very, very good precision on things. And, it's, and most 3D printers are relatively low maintenance. i got to put some oil on every now and then. And fiddling with the PLA filament, that's the rolls of plastic that you put, you feed into the machine, there's a little bit of fiddling there, but that's with any um, PLA printer. But those are the two main things you generally get with a more expensive printer, is that you get a quieter operation, as well as super high precise operation. In terms of the layer height, this is where the biggest improvement has been to these FDM printers. The Ultimaker, I haven't tried going down to this level yet, but the Ultimaker 2GO can have a smallest layer height of 0.6 millimeters. What I'm going to do is to figure out just how good that really is. I'm going to go ahead at some point and not do this in the future when I'm done with my current 3D printing project and the next one because I'm, I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But I'm going to go ahead and print out some of my Caladagia miniatures and compare those on the Ultimaker to see how they look when stacked up next to the very high-end, very expensive 3D printers that Shapeways has because I get all my current greens manufactured at Shapeways. I fully expect the shapeways and machines to be a lot better. But I'm kind of curious to see just how close you can get to a professional grade miniature and how long it takes to print a professional grade miniature. So that'll be something I'm going to try in the future. But like the thing I just showed you there, the it's like an it's an Egyptian sandstone themed spire. Because I'm building an arena for Arena Rex. That's a game of gladiatorial combat. It's an alternative history type game where the Roman Empire... Something happened. I want to say Julius Caesar was like killed before his conquering of Gaul or something like that. I don't really know this full story behind it. But the idea is the Roman Empire never fell and they continued to expand. And because of that, there's gladiatorial combat all over the world. And this guy here... This is a layer height of 0.2 millimeters, which now that it's primed and painted, and you're looking at it, especially with the camera, you can barely tell there's layers there. Um, if when I'm looking at it here with my own eyes, I can see lay- still see a little bit of layers. Because they do, the layers do catch the light just a tiny little bit. Not much, but just a little bit. You still can kind of see them. But when you're looking like a foot or so away, I'm right now about maybe 18 inches, two feet away from that thing looking at it, I can't tell that it's 3D printed or barely tell that it's 3D printed. This terrain for these FDM printers is getting, or terrain production for FDM printers is getting really, really good. That thing you see right there takes about five and a half hours to print at a 0.2 millimeter layer resolution. Now I could I could increase the resolution to 0.1 millimeters, but of course that's going to double, eh, probably double, It'll get pretty darn close to doubling the print time because you know you, you double the print, you double the layer resolution. It's got to now make twice as many layers, so therefore it probably will get pretty darn close to doubling. The print time. 3D printing in general doesn't really have any economy of scale. So making two items is essentially pretty darn close to two times the, t- the time it would take to make one item. That's more of a business uh, discussion. Business and you know money discussion. And sometime I'll probably talk about that. So there's some more details in addition to what I'm going to do in that terrain. Other than simply just make it for my own purposes. I do plan on selling 3D printer related stuff in not too far in the future. But more info on that coming in a few weeks when I kind of figure out exactly what I'm gonna be doing here. So now I'm working on Cypher here on the front of his front cloak. He has like two strands of material that kind of come down in front of his body. I'm applying the same linen white, off-white color to those two strands. Before, while I let the other layers of paint on the back of his cloak dry. So, let's talk about the next type of printing that's currently available in the home SLA printing. This is stereo lithography. This isn't anything quite new in terms of it being available for the home. And I should mention, all this technology I'm talking about here is not new, period. 3D printing has been around for 20, no, more than 20. Probably 30, 40 years at this point. Maybe somewhere in 30, and 40. It's just that it's never been available to the home user until really maybe starting 10 years ago. Shapeways showed up sometime prior to 2010. Because I know, I remember I stumbled across them when I was launching Caladasia And, you know, I, from the very beginning, I was thinking these guys would probably be something good for making miniatures. and So they've been around somewhere pre-2010. I don't know exactly when they showed up. But they were, you know, a major important step forward. And all around that time is when all these 3D printers really started appearing. But SLA printing, uh, most famous by the company Formlabs, and they originally had their Form 1 printer, which was a Kickstarter, and then it was available for sale. I want to say the company had some legal issues. They were getting with patents or something i don't know i shouldn't say that i know that i'm pretty sure they're having some legal issues and that's why i kind of figured the company was kind of done for but they came out they somehow they must have got those issue resolved i'm not sure how that particular case ended up if it was some sort of license agreement or something like that but they eventually released the form 2 printer i don't have this one and i have not used this one but i've watched some videos of this thing and this thing is freaking cool um, and it's definitely probably the next pr- printer I would want to buy. SLA printing, in some ways, is kind of the opposite of FDM printing. Where FDM printing, you're kind of adding layers of material. SLA printing uses a, some sort of container of resin. So you've got a, a little bucket of resin, essentially, sitting on top of the printer. And there's the use of high-precision lasers, which cure the resin one tiny bit at a time. It still works in layers, so it builds it up layer by layer, but instead of adding material, like where it's spursed out of a nozzle, what it's doing is it's just kind of solidifying material that's already in place. And this allows for significantly higher amounts of detail than what FDM printers can do. It's kind of like, comparison-wise, you think of a... FDM printer is almost being like a um, sharpie marker, and these kind of guys is being like a very fine tip sharpie marker. You can see how if you compare those two types of markers together, you can get a lot more precision and a lot more detail with you know a very fine tip marker compared to uh, you know a much fatter tip marker. That being said, the Formlabs two printer is strongly recommended that you use their resin and they have their system set up. Where, you know, you buy the components from them. I believe it can use third party components, but you know, it's one of those things where it's strongly not recommended for one reason or another. It's also very expensive, it's about $3,500 is the start of the system. The resin starts costing at $140 for a liter. I don't know how much that works out to be, but I'm gonna go ahead and probably make the safe assumption that even though this printer. May be able to compete with like Games Workshop in quality. It may. I don't know if it can. I you know I never seen any of the prints really up close and personal, but they look very very good from what I've been seeing. People doing reviews on YouTube. Um, it may be able to compete with tabletop quality, very very close. Uh, but I'm almost certain that just because it compete in quality, it's probably not. It's probably not any cheaper to manufacture them and in, like, in likelihood it's probably more expensive to manufacture a miniature using this type this particular printer than it is just to go ahead and buy the miniature from Games Workshop right. especially you know especially with your large miniatures as well as your rank and file troops you know guys like Cypher here which if you've sold individually he might be 20 25 dollars that's probably safe to say that's cheaper maybe um, but you know that's, that's just kind of my estimate. It, I, but I do want to get this 3D printer. I could really seeing it being very valuable for Caladagia. If it can produce results very similar to what Shapeways gets right now, I'd love to be able to produce those greens in-house. In the long term, it'd be cheaper. I may even both produce like small miniatures, like my fighter miniatures, in-house using that printer because those are really tiny and really cheap. Uh, so there's a there's definitely a serious interest in myself to go ahead and purchase that printer. So I'll let you know if I ever do. It's it's a little steep, thirty five hundred dollars. A little steep, and you know, being in an apartment, it's kind of messy to have something like that with all the liquid resin uh, sitting around. Though it does use a cartridge system, which looks pretty nice. I think that you know the cartridge system will help keep that mess in check, but you know it's not going to be perfect. Whereas an FDM printer, it's there's no mess at all really to that. You might get a little bit of filament falling, getting around here, but the filament is solid. You just pick it up and throw it out. PLA is biodegradable. So it's a lot less messiness for a PLA printer than there is for the SLA printers. But, you know, I'll, t- I'll let you know sometime, guys, if I do end up buying that printer. If I do, it's going to be a next year kind of a thing when I get some more money saved up. But, that could be a fun 2018 3D printing update topic, talking about the Form 2 printer. Or I might just wait until the Form 3 comes out, because I'm sure that'll be out in a few years. Um, Because I don't know, the Form 2's been out for a little while. I think it was last, I want to say last year maybe, or it might have been two years ago. Alright, well the back of this cloak is looking pretty good in terms of its base colors. We'll get back to that in a minute and start applying some shading to it. So the other type of technology you're gonna start hearing about for the hobbyist market, and uh, um, and this is this is something it's like yeah I mean technically hobbyist market I suppose very high end hobbyist market is SLS printing. Once again, this has been around for a while. Shapeways has had this type of printing available for a long time. This is more or less like their White and Strong Flexible Plastic, or White and Strong and Flexible Plastic, or whatever it's called. And this is, let's see, Selective Laser Sintering. So I believe, once again, I believe this uses lasers, hence why laser's in the name. But unlike SLA printing, where it is a liquid resin that's getting solidified, SLS printing uses some sort of dust or particle-like material that then gets solidified by the lasers. So it's a little bit of a different process, and you get a different feel to it. I have gotten some of these materials from Shapeways. Some of the earliest Caladagy miniatures were in this material. It has a very distinctive, noticeable texture to it. You can feel it, and when you paint it up, you can see it a little bit. Because of the fact that it's something that's basically built from dust... You do see a very fine bumpy texture all over the miniature or whatever you're making. This particular printer is being made by Formlabs, the same guys who make the Form Two printer. There this is a and why I say a high-end hobbyist market is. This printer system starts at $10,000 and has a $20,000 version that's a complete kit in terms of like refilling materials, cleaning, stuff like that. So you really would want to buy the full $20,000 kit. Or at least get, you know, one twenty dollars kit and then maybe add on a couple $10,000 printers. <laughs> um, so given those prices, you're probably not going to see many hobbyists start to use that. Uh, what you... That being all said, though, um, what was I going to say here? Hobby is not going to be using it. Oh, it—that means it's somewhere in the range, according to Formlabs, anyway, of about one tenth the cost of existing SLS systems. So, even though you know, 20000 dollars seems ridiculously expensive, it is. That's a huge price drop, which means you're going to see this technology become even cheaper. And it's going to become even more widely available. You might start seeing, once again, this is a big might because I know there's some stores in my area that have talked about it, gaming stores and printing stores actually getting three D printers and start, you know, selling that as a service. Because you know, I could see a local gaming store, if the person wants to, to be able to have a sort of a market for pr- pr- producing three D printed terrain. Um, depending on how things are going, there's not a huge markup for that, mainly because things take a long time. But once again, that's more of a business discussion. I will have that with you guys later as I figure out a lot of the details of, you know, of the business side of producing and selling 3D prints and 3D models and things like that. But I think with that, with a twenty thousand dollar system, you're going to start seeing that thing show up in more local stores and local facilities, and that's going to become a much more reasonably accessible, relatively high quality 3D printing thing. I personally don't like it for tabletop gaming. Like I said, that weird texture doesn't look very good. It doesn't make miniatures look very good. You can see it doesn't just doesn't look right. So I don't think that particular technology will have a huge impact on the tabletop game market. It doesn't have any huge advantages because of that texture thing over what FDM printing can do right now, and FDM printing is a heck of a lot cheaper. So I mentioned a few times about shapeways. Obviously, you know you, shapeways is the company where you send I keep saying you know, obviously is one of those words that say a lot. Kinda like how back in that one episode of the Tabletop Battle, I feel like I said so like hundred and sixty three times. Um I think, obviously, is now my, it's become a new favorite word, which is kind of obnoxious, isn't it? So Shapeways is a service where you can upload your 3D models and then have it printed out in a variety of different materials. That's what I use, except for the Caladagia miniatures. And what they have, it's a technology that's certainly not home 3D printing, but it's kind of interesting to know about. The highest quality stuff that I use is MJM. Oh, I didn't write down what that stands for. Darn it. But it's multi-jet manufacturing or something like that. It's sort of like FDM on steroids, and I'm sure someone's probably going to yell at me and thinking, no, that's not what it is at all. But it's ejecting a resin out of tiny, tiny nozzles. Like the Ultimaker 4 printer I have right now, the nozzle diameter is 0.4 millimeters. These things sound – these nozzles sound like you're getting on maybe this, even the scale of MEMS technology, which is sub-micrometer level, like, you know, like one – you're talking like one millionth-ish of of like a meter kind of a thing. So you're getting on really tiny, tiny nozzle sizes and really just as tiny layer sizes. So it's still kind of like an FDM printer where it builds it up one layer at a time. But the resolution is so small and so precise, you can barely see any of the layer lines and wobbliness that would normally come from using an FDM printer. I don't think this particular technology is going to be showing up in the home anytime soon. These printers are still ridiculously expensive. But I'll talk more about you know what's going on, why 3D printing technology is still not super accessible at this point. It's getting better, but it's still not there yet. So those are the main different types of 3D printing technology that's out there. Nothing's really new, but they're all getting better, and they're all getting cheaper. So slowly, bit by bit, this stuff is becoming more accessible to a home audience, but it's still going to be a long time. So where does all this technology fit into the gaming world? Let's kind of go through each of those different types of 3D printing, and I'll comment on where I think at this point, technology-wise, where those different types of 3D printing really fit into the tabletop gaming market. But I'll talk about that here in just a minute. I'm going to move on... Well, I'm going to keep working on... Ah, oh, crap. <laughs> I put my finger on the front of Cypher's Cloak, and I kind of ruined a little bit of the white paint there, so let me just fix that quickly. Um, but I'm going to go back and forth between finishing up this... The white cloaks on his side of his arm. This is the extra piece I have sitting over here. As well as what's on the front here. I'm going to be finishing those up. Probably got a whole bunch of more layers to go. I think I watered down this paint a little too much. So I'm going to have a a lot of more thin layers to go on the front here, to be honest with you. But I'm also going to start working on the back here. And what I'm going to do is start adding some shadow to the whole cloak. I may give the whole entire cloak a very small wash with the seraphin sepia, seraphin sepia, the seraphin sepia, there we go. This is the brown wash, a kind of a light brown wash from Games Workshop's line of washes. I'm gonna probably... No, I kinda like the white cloak, so I'm not gonna put it all over the place, but I'm gonna work this into some of the shadow areas, so in between the creases here, put a little bit down in there, just to make it look like the cloak is essentially cloaked in shadow, because it would be a little bit of a darkerish brown color in the shadow areas there. And there's also plenty of places where it's torn a little bit. I'll probably put a little bit of the color around those torn areas, too. How I like to work with the shade, so you shake up the bottle a little bit, and you get a little bit of the shade here on the lip of the cap that even that amount of dipping your brush and that amount of shade right there is really a lot. So what I then do is I run my brush along the very t- side of the top of the lip of the cap here. So a lot of the wash then kind of runs off my brush and goes down into this little pool in the actual lip of the cap. So I get a that way I get a very tiny amount of the wash on my brush and then I can start very quickly working that into the model where I want it to be because when you're working on a white surface like this too much wash can ruin things very very fast and you can always go back and add a little bit more you know thin layers of white if you do kind of screw things up a little bit it's not the end of the world especially if you're adding really thin layers of white you kind of can counteract the effect of the wash just a little bit so let's talk about, as I do this here, let's talk about where 3D printing is really fitting into the world of tabletop gaming. Um, the FDM printers, as I mentioned before, are getting really pretty good at making certain types of terrain. Castle walls, rock formations, bridges, large physical structures. These are things that the FDM printers can work really well at. Like, you know, I was mentioning as making my Arena Rex, Arena, Kind of unfortunate that the thing you built is in the name of the game. So I've got these four kind of sandstone-like spires that I designed in Blender, and then I'm you know I'm printing those out. There's going to be obstacles within the arena, so they're going to just you know look kind of cool inside the arena. And and then I'm also the entire wall. So it's going to be about a 23-inch diameter arena. And where are they? Here they are. And I'm 3D printing an entire wall that's going to go around it. There's been a lot of fiddling with this to get things right, to get the brick sizes right, and stuff like that. But this is going to end up being a really cool textured sandstone wall. And one of the things I did to help hide the layer lines a little bit, is if you bring this guy back over here to the camera, there's a bumpy texture on the rocks. I did that intentionally to not only get you know, kind of a fake sandstone texture to it, but it also kind of roughens up the edges of the blocks like they're chiseled out of rock and they kind of look a little bit closer to what the pictures of like Egyptian walls that I found would be instead of just having you know nice, clean, mass-manufactured bricks. But also, that bumpy texture does a pretty good job of helping to hide some of the layer lines. Not completely. You can still see the layer lines, but the texture does hide it a little bit um though let me show you this one thing here the texture can get a little bit screwy depending on what you're doing of course if you look from the side of the wall you're building up one layer at a time the texture that sticks out kind of along the layer the print layers those actually look pretty good but they also the top of the bricks have that weird bumpy texture to them also but things didn't work quite right the printer can't quite make a bumpy texture layer by layer so you get this weird arrow thing going on you see in a couple of those bricks there um i don't really know how to fix that at the moment but so it's important like the thing just to note that 3d printers can print certain textures in certain directions and certain orientations a lot better than they can in other ways so it's one of those things you got to think about when you're planning out your FDM models. But this guy, I'm going to go ahead and make a whole bunch of more terrain for it beyond, you know, the Arena Rex thing. I'm making my Halloween costume. I'm using a lot of 3D printing for that. So that's going to be kind of what my 3D printer's tied up in through October-ish. I know I'm going to probably make some 15mm American Revolution, American Civil War-style buildings. Those are kind of hard to find in the United States, oddly enough. So... I got a whole bunch of, you know, I'll take some look at some pictures from my Civil War books over here and use those as references to make terrain kits. And those are the things I think I can probably sell. Um, Not only just the 3D models, but even selling some of the actual 3D prints. Though, you know, you can't, you just can't make a lot of 3D printed stuff without having a lot of printers. Because once it goes back to, there's no economy of scale there. So that's basically where FDM printers are going to fit in right now, is these larger structure Terrain elements. Smaller structure things, there gets to a point where they're not as good. Uh, so thin rods, thin columns, you know, kind of like maybe a crane-like lattice structure. You can probably print that reasonably well if you print it flat and assemble it together. But if you try to print those kind of th- structures all together, like you know, as one piece the thin, the thin layer, like the thin rods being built up, it, those can, those can look really messy in certain printers. So there are limits to what these FDM printers can do in terms of printing in one piece. But I think if you were to print them flat and then a, glue four sides together, they would probably work pretty well. In it. And definitely an experiment with that. So there are limits to what you can do. They're not miracle devices yet. When it comes to the SLA uh, printers, like the, the Formlabs, I think that's going to mostly be a rapid prototyping procedure. It's probably still too expensive to try to produce your own miniatures. And even then, there's still there's still a very much a skill base required for 3D printing. 3D printing is still not easy by any means yet, regardless of what printer technology you're planning to... Um, use. That being said, in terms of 3D printing for making miniatures, it's coming along. I was looking at Shapeways. They're, they have tons and tons of miniatures on, that are available for sale in Shapeways. And There are certain categories of miniatures where they're starting to get cheaper than actually manufactured miniatures. I was looking at one 3000 World War II naval warships. I know that's a very, that's a very, very tiny, tiny miniatures. Um, and definitely, you know, if gaming in general is a niche market and, you know, Forge World is a niche market, a niche market. One 3000's tiny World War Two warships is a niche market, a niche market, a niche market, a niche market. But the fact is you've now got an actual legitimate tabletop gaming miniatures market where the prices of the miniatures are comparable or cheaper than the traditional pewter miniatures that these gamers buy. And this is this is a, this is a big deal because 3D printing means it's finally getting to the point in certain circumstances where it can compete with actual traditionally manufactured miniatures. I think it's got a very long way to go for things like Warhammer 28mm scale stuff. Um, and I can tell you that it's far cheaper to buy the Kaladasian miniatures, the final production miniatures from me than it is to get them from Shapeways. It's significantly more expensive from Shapeways to you know than to buy to get them from me. So we're not there yet. There are some other twenty eight they claim twenty eight millimeter scale miniatures. They don't have actual pictures of the final product, they just have three D renderings. So there was a three pack of Napoleon Bonaparte. Basically him standing one sitting and kind of one, him, one like him doing a pose for a phot- photograph kind of a pose. Um, there's a pack of three of those at 28mm going for $18, which is not a bad price. There were some 35mm miniatures that supposedly were going for around $20-ish for the very high quality plastics, which would kind of put those price-wise comparison with Arena Rex. But, you know... There's a, but those are all just kind of 3D models that don't have actual pictures to go with them, so I'm not 100% sure just how good they would be. But you're starting to see that price point come down a little bit. So let's talk about what's holding 3D printing back. And you know, the first thing, and I want to imply that this isn't necessarily holding them back, but... This is a limiting factor for the home market, and that's patents. 3D printing, I said, is not a new technology, and there are still a lot of patents that are on some of these really, really amazing 3D printing systems. And because of that, they're not available to the home user yet. So eventually, all this really cool stuff, the SLA printing, the um, MJM printing, all that stuff is going to end up in the home market eventually. But a lot of it has some... Has some patents to it, and those patents are protected by companies with very rich pocketbooks and they're willing to you know, to defend them. so until those things expire, you're not going to see that kind of stuff very often in the home market. But then again, I really don't think that's the biggest issue though. 3D printing I just mentioned a minute ago it's still not easy and there's, there's a couple of reasons there's actually a number of reasons for this. you really need 3d modeling experience. So, I mean, I've got almost at this point 20 years of sort of visual effects-ish experience. That's kind of me being fancy about saying that I know how to do 3D modeling. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it really you really need to know 3D modeling, and even mold making helps. Because mold making, there's a certain spatial reasoning to it to understand how things sit in the mold and how you need to build the mold, and some of those principles apply to 3D printing too because the concept of supports. Support is material that is added to the 3 d print so that it doesn't it can actually be printed like you can imagine for example, let me hold this this little piece i've got the so I've got this piece of cipher that's his left arm and the cloak. If you were imagining you were printing this up from the ground up one layer at a time and start printing the cloak, but eventually you'd reach his arm and there's nothing there's no material below his arm right so what what would happen there is it would try to print the material and then it would just fall down because there's nothing supporting the arm. So that's why you need to use support materials that can hold those pieces, the fine finished pieces of the models up before those areas are printed. You need some sort of support to hold that arm piece up so it doesn't just fall off and crash into the ground. So that is not something that's easy to do. Uh, 3D printing programs are getting pretty good at doing that, but still, sometimes it helps to be able to know how to add your own, know how to orient your model to minimize the waste of material. It's gonna, it still is gonna be a while. It's not super intuitive yet. They're getting there though. And the other thing that makes this really difficult to use is there's there's really tons of three D printers out there. There's and that's that's a good thing from you know a market choice perspective. So What tends to happen is you don't actually get a file for your 3D printer, the file that it uses. The Ultimaker uses something called G-Code, and I think a lot of printers use G-Code. G-Code is the actual instruction set on how to move the nozzle and how to extrude the material, how to set certain temperatures, how to turn certain features of the printer on, and that is something that is very specific. That file is very specific to the printer because it also has to factor in certain attributes of the printer like how much material can be extruded out at a time, how fast it can print, how fast you can move the the nozzle of the printer. There's a lot of details there that get stored in that file that are unique to that printer. So unless you can find somebody who's already generated a G-code file for your particular model, for your particular printer, what you get is called an STL file. That's almost always what you get. STL files are the 3D model itself, so you, so you have to know how to take that STL file and make it work for your 3D printer, and that's not super easy yet. It's getting better, and you know, it's, a lot of people can help you with that. You can go on forums and learn stuff, but that still really helps to have 3D modeling knowledge to be able to work with those STL files. So that's one of those things that's still kind of holding things back a little bit. If one company were to kind of really take over the market, like an Ultimaker is a pretty well-known brand. There are a lot of places, but a lot of people there's like a what was it a an i3 printer it's called. I want to say like personal or something like that. It's another very popular one. If there was to be some sort of market dominance with a certain printer brand, you'd probably start seeing it become more accessible because then people would be more likely to share a particular G-code for a particular printer, knowing that, you know, a sizable portion of the audience can actually use that. But for the time being, that's still not the case. So along those details with the 3D models... There's still a lot of detailing and screwing around with the filament. The filament is, like I mentioned before, that's the material that you feed into the three D printer, and it comes on these giant spools. For at least for the PLA, for most for the FDM printers, they come on giant spools. So you're basically buying a giant spool of plastic wire, and there they're diff- there's different types of PLA out there. There's different melted. They melt at different temperatures. Have different requirements. Um, there's different types of materials, PLAs versus ABSs, and what they're used for, how to print them. So there's a lot of fiddly details, even just to choosing materials and how to work with them and setting the tensions right, because you have a little feeder device that pulls those things into your printer, and there's a, and there's got to be a tension in that feeder device that can grip this, the filament and pull it up into the printer, but not pull it up or not grip it so tight to where it deforms the filament and jams your printer. And expensive filaments work differently than cheap filaments. My Ultimaker came with a spool of the really expensive Ultimaker filament, which is fantastic stuff, but it's very expensive. I went ahead and I tried um, Inland Filament. That is Micro Center's brand. That is the direct opposite. That stuff is dirt cheap. And I didn't have a lot of good luck with it, but it could have been... My printer was not quite tensioned right, so it would grab the filament, smush it a little bit, and jam up pretty quickly, so I kinda gave up on that. I I just purchased some middle of the road stuff called Melta Ink or something like that. Melt ink PLA. And I think there should be a print, a print sitting in my printer right now that's finished, and it was doing really good. So that was a nice about half the price of the Ultimaker filament, but he got more of it, and I think it worked pretty well. I'm going to try it for a you know a little bit more larger, a little bit more audacious print, and see how things go. But as long as it didn't explode in the last twenty minutes of the print, it was looking really good before I started the show here. So that's a whole another set of fiddly details and things. So, is there going to be anything really big and new on the horizon? Um no, not really. Not right at the moment. You know. So, a lot of what you see now is going to it's going to be that way probably for a few years. There are other SLA branded printers in development. There was a Kickstarter for one a while ago that actually had a working printer. There was that Kickstarter for that phone one, where it used your phone to be an SLA printer. That one has not been released. I was looking into that a while ago, and a good thing I did not back that one. There's a lot of angry backers on that one. Um, will it ever be released? I have no idea. Uh, it may, maybe, maybe not. You know, Time will tell how that thing ends up. But SLA technology is gonna start becoming more common. If there are any patent issues around that, you're going to start seeing a lot of lawsuits come out. So it'll be an interesting few years for that technology, and I suppose that'll get more available and more cheaper. And maybe, just maybe in a few years, maybe we'll see SLA technology start producing miniatures, home miniatures, at a price where it's actually cheap enough to put pressure on the companies to reduce prices, maybe, you know, that... Um, maybe, you know, it, it may be for companies like myself who don't have the money to immediately invest in injection molding plastic. It's quite possible that SLA technology could become an actual manufacturing source. I mean, that's certainly a possibility. I don't know. We, you know, I, my fighter miniatures for Caladasia are produced at Shapeways so it's certainly things like that may start to change, but once again, that's still a, a maybe. It's not certain. The SLS printing, like, you know, at least from my opinion, I don't like that and t- how it looks for gaming miniatures. So I don't know if that's going to have a huge impact on the tabletop game industry, but that particular printer, there are plenty of other industries where that thing is going to be huge. Uh, from visual, from special effects industries to any kind of anybody that does rapid prototyping, automotive industries—that's going to be huge. You may you may see it be used to create really cool terrain because that bumpy texture could be look really good for certain types of miniature terrain that FDM FDM printing isn't good at. So it's not that it's going to be you know not go anywhere, but I don't. It's not going to be super revolutionary for the tabletop game industry in my opinion because. I don't think it offers anything new from the miniatures market and the terrain market, the FDM printing doesn't already do good enough. Especially at twenty thousand dollar price point. Get that thing down to two thousand, maybe, you know, maybe you'll start seeing it be used more frequently, but but there are definitely other industries that are gonna love that printer. I'm I guarantee it. Um, so 3D printing is slowly changing the world, but it it will certainly be a while. (laughs) But I'll probably do this again in 2018. I don't know if I have a whole lot new to say, but maybe a year from now, so maybe September in 2018, I'll go ahead and have some fun looking into all this stuff again. Maybe I'll have a Formlabs printer making some prototypes and miniatures. Maybe, maybe not. I really don't know. But I didn't actually get to the front of Cypher's cloak today. I just kept rambling on here. And now what I'm doing is I'm blending in the wash with a little bit of the watered-down thin uh, linen white to kind of blend it in a little bit better. I actually like the effect that I'm getting. So it doesn't look quite as washy per se. It has a little bit more of a blended look inside the shadows there. I may I probably add a little bit of black in some of the very deepest recesses of the shadows and things like that. But I don't know. I'm not sure. I'll probably keep working on this. Uh, I still gotta do the other parts of the cloak anyway. So, maybe part four will finally get to the inside of the cloak for this guy. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Just maybe. And I need to go back and do some ridge highlighting here along the, the ridges of his cloaks. So I got a little bit of wash up there. I've been kind of s- slobbering around a little bit. But I like how that looks. I'm liking the the cloak, the mixture of the linen white and along with the seraphins would be a wash. I really do like that. I think it looks pretty cool. So, why don't I, to finish up the show tonight, we've got about five minutes left here, let me just crack out the artificial layer brush, the brand new one, and just apply a few ridges of linen white, just nice, pure linen white, along the... Along the, the top of those cloak ridges there. And that'll be what I think I, I'll call it done for the night. But stay tuned for more on 3D printing. I'm definitely going to be doing a lot of 3D printing as it relates to tabletop gaming, tabletop game terrain. And I think I'm going to be having a lot of fun here pretty shortly with the tabletop battlefield. So, I know that brands just kind of been stagnating, sitting out there. Nothing really much happening for the past you know, seven years since Kaladagia came out. Because so I didn't really know what to do with it, but I got some ideas, and hopefully by the end of the year, you're going to be some, seeing something kind of cool and new instead of having seven-year-old reviews of games that don't really exist anymore, and frankly, I could care less at this point what you thought of my reviews from seven years ago, and they probably aren't even relevant if those games exist, seeing that we've now seen Warhammer Fantasy, which I basically consider to be immortal, is now gone. <laughs> Hmm. The only you know, be it would be a fun discussion to have is talk about licensed franchises versus original franchises and kind of see why, you know, the original franchises tend to do a little bit better than the licensed franchises overall. And I think I kind of know why, but I could talk about that. Granted, I'm a little biased towards original franchises for obvious reasons. You know, um... Oops, a little too much linen white there I'm also applying some linen of uh, the linen white to the very bottom to kind of help help what I want to say kind of hide the wash a little bit but overall, I kind of like how this is looking. It's not super amazing but it's it's good enough i I think it'll it'll be fine for this i may I may dirty this whole cloak up a little bit more even. Using some of the Nunt oil just to make it really even more dirty. I mean, this guy is supposed to be 10,000 years old, right? But oh well, that's what we're going to call it tonight. I don't have to finish. I think next time we'll finish up doing some of the washes on his front of his cloak and the side of his cloak here. And then I can start working on the inside of it and giving it the red base. Maybe this weekend I'll jump on and do some more live stream. I'm not entirely sure. Oop. Let's go ahead and put that guy back on there. <laughs> <sighs> but as usual, tomorrow's Thursday. So 8 p.m. Eastern Time Thursday. I'm going to be doing my Calendashia live stream. For the past few times, I've been doing some 3D modeling to do 3D printing, a uh, 3D print of the helmet back there. Uh, we're not going to keep doing that. Two weeks in a row of that is enough. I think what I might start working on is the actual screenplay of the short film. Just kind of doing some ideas, sketching out ideas, thinking about really finalize what I want to do. Otherwise, I also need to make a new Surikari CG model for the particular short film. And I've been playing around with the sculpting features in Blender. So I've been learning how that works, and that'd be great for making a new, really cool, even better looking CG model of the Surikari Warrior. Because there, you know, that's probably the main CG element that's going to be in the short film. They're going to be in a few scenes and things like that. So with all that out of the way, I want to thank you guys for watching. Once again, I'm Jason, the creator of the Tabletop Battlefield. You can follow me here on twitch.tv, twitch.tv forward slash rockerobotics to see it live. As you can go ahead and then also get the notifications turned on so like I said, for these tabletop battle things, I just kind of jump on whenever I feel like it but Thursdays at 8pm, that is the Kaladagia live stream um, of course on YouTube, username is Rocker Robotics, you can find these videos over there, if you want to watch them later on, and you can check out the past series of Painting Fate Weaver, as well as building the Tau Empire Firewear Cosplay Helmet which I'm pointing off camera, which is kind of useless, because you can't see it over there, but I can so But anyway, once again thank you for watching and have a good night.